Tonight we're reading from Joshua chapter 6, and we'll be reading through the entire chapter tonight. So have it open in front of you. Joshua chapter 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth, until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once. And returned into the camp, so they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat 
So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But the two, to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Joshua. Well, I want to start with a question tonight. My question is, have you ever been given instructions that weren't super helpful? So let me give you a few examples of this. So here's the first one behind me. I hope you can see that's a a, someone's put on Twitter, a picture of two youngish folks. And the, the headline says, how I retired at 38 and how you can too. Right, pretty amazing, pretty amazing news how we can retire that early. Well, what's the gist? Let's go to the next picture. What does it say? When planning for early retirement, Hester and her husband had the advantage of six figure salaries and jobs that left them with millions of travel points. I don't know about you, but getting the, the promise of retirement at 38 and then finding out that people who had that were like loaded doesn't exactly inspire me with confidence that I'll be able to do it as well. Well, what else? Let's have a look at some more instructions. This next one, uh, instructions uh, from a preschool, I think, on how to draw a bird. I think, all right, this must be pretty straightforward. Uh, you can see there at the top, uh, draw an egg. Uh, second step, draw a bigger egg. Uh, third st- step, draw a fan on one end. Let's go to the next page. Then we draw an M. <laughs> and then step five, just add bits, add bits to the bird. Does anyone think they'd be okay in going between step four and step five? Yeah, I didn't think so either. That seems that's pretty unhelpful. Uh, Let's have a look at one more. Maybe this one will be all right. So here we go. Google. Surely Google will be able to sort us out. We have a problem. We want to know advice on something. Surely Google's going to help us. What is it? How to find out how old is a tree? Or what does Google say? If you know when the tree was planted, you can easily and accurately (laughs) determine the age. I've got to say, that's not really helpful, Google. Um, now, why do I do this? Well, we can have a laugh about these things, can't we? But why raise this? Well, I think it, it shows something, doesn't it? Each of those things that we just looked at, that, each of them promised something. They promised us something, either an early retirement 
or an answer to a, a question that we need answering. But then it gave instructions about how to get there. And what do we discover? Well, the way seems, if not unlikely, then all out impossible. Now, that's frustrating, isn't it? If you get promised something amazing, but you find out the way to get there is seemingly through an impossible task. Now, I raise that because I imagine if I'm a Christian, if I say I'm a follower of Jesus, there might be a temptation for me to think in a similar manner that Christianity, it promises a lot, doesn't it? Christianity, we were promised eternal life. We're promised a forgiveness of sin, resurrected bodies, an eternity uh, with no pain, uh, no tears, no torment like that. That's amazing. But then for many who would call themselves Christian, well, the way to get there is by following this massive book of instructions. Look at it all. I've got, I've got to follow all of this. Right? If you thought those instructions were tricky, wait until you see what's in here. Now, we've been going through the book of, of Joshua in the PM service for the past few weeks. And at the start of the book, the very first chapter, God actually says something like this to Joshua. Okay, Here's what he said back in chapter 1, verse 7. Okay, God said, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. So for tonight, I want to ask the question, is that true? Is this instruction manual, so to speak, is this something that's actually unachievable, like those earlier examples? Are we doomed to failure if uh, we're Christians? Are we doomed to failure and frustration? Or is something else going on? Well, in tonight's passage in Joshua chapter 6, we're going to have a look and see another set of seemingly impossible or unachievable instructions. And as we look at it, I hope we'll get a chance to answer this question together. Okay, so that's Joshua chapter 6, the Battle of Jericho. Uh, Let's make our way through it together. Now, Jericho is the, the very first city that the people of God encounter when they uh, finally get inside the promised land, which if you've been with us, you have heard. Now, it sits in a strategic position, the city of Jericho. It's kind of like at the gateway point to the rest of the promised land. So once they get this one, the path is clear to take the rest of it as well. But what do they find? Well, right from the very start, when they get to Jericho, they discover just how difficult a task this is going to be to try and take it. Okay, this city is sealed shut, we read. Worse than that jar that's been sitting in your fridge for ages and just simply will not open. Right, we're told right there in verse 1, none went out and none came in. But it's not just that. We're also told in the next verse, as God speaks to Joshua, we're told that this city is filled with mighty men of valor. And that means it's not your typical city, not a city filled with people of all different sorts. It's actually a city that's filled with soldiers, experienced, battle-hardened, fighting men. Okay, so if this is the first point of entry, the first point, the point of engagement 
in the war for the promised land, it's a really tough one. And when you factor in that the the people of Israel, they don't have any uh, experience in fighting battles. Remember, this is a new generation, completely new generation. When you factor that in, it makes it seem even more difficult. And then there are these walls around the city, looming large. They must seem massive to the Israelites. And so we come away, just these opening couple of verses, they've got this first city that they're meant to take down. It looks like it's going to be really, really tough. Except that God immediately encourages his people to see something else. Okay, have a look at verse 2. Okay, this is what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Now God's saying, when you look at this imposing city, well, don't see the fortifications, don't see the walls or the fierce soldiers that your brain is telling you to, to look at. But instead, look and see at what I am telling you about it. And God says, what I'm telling you is that I'm giving it to you on a silver platter. So if you're there and you're hearing this, you're thinking, great, that's fantastic. Well, God must have some incredible kind of plan of attack for how we're going to do this. He must have it all drawn out, a blueprint for a comprehensive military victory, right? A set of instructions that are nice and easy to follow. That that's must must be what he has. But no, the battle plan actually doesn't look like any of that. Okay, instead, God says this. Have a read with me of verse 3 to 5. Here's what God says to Joshua. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now just try and imagine for a moment if you're in the people of Israel and you hear this plan. This set of instructions. Hey, you're going to take down this imposing city by walking around it a bunch of times and then yelling really loud at the end. What would you think if you were there? I suspect you you might have some doubts about that. I mean, won't the, at the very least, won't the enemy soldiers be able to fire at us as we walk around the city? Remember that it's a, it's a city full of soldiers. Or won't they laugh at us when they see we're just walking around, we're not actually doing anything, we're just simply walking around the city? Well, again, the question is, have we got eyes to see what God sees? Okay, because there's more to it. Look at, for example, look at the marching orders that God gives. He says, sure, yeah, the armed men, they'll be part of this march that you're going on. But also, so will the priests, Right, which is another sign that this plan is a, a little unusual. But did you notice, as it was read, did you notice what takes center stage? What's the central element in this battle procession? 
Well, it's the ark, the ark of the covenant, that, that which symbolizes the very presence of God. That's now that's the very same ark that sat in the middle of the flooded Jordan River as the people miraculously crossed over it on dry land back in chapter three. Okay, but now the ark's going to be in the middle of this battle procession. So as we read that, that's meant to send alarm bells going off in our heads. Something similar is happening here. And that's only confirmed further when we look at uh, some more details. When we look at the numbers in God's instructions. First of all, it takes place over seven days. Then there are seven priests, seven ram's horns. And on the final day, they're to walk around the city seven times. And what's with all the sevens? Well, in the Old Testament particularly, that the number seven is associated with the idea of divine completion. Now you've got to think back to uh, the seven days of creation, right? What happens on the seventh day of creation? God rests. The job is done. So with all the sevens here, it's like a, a neon sign right in our faces saying, God is the one who's going to do this work. God's the one who's fighting this battle. Now, the people are being called to be part of it, sure. The the army will be there, certainly. But God's the one who's at the center of it. He is so central to what's about to happen in Jericho. He's like what the engine is to vehicular movement. Without him, nothing will happen. And so this is all there to remind us as we, uh, as the Israelites look ahead to this upcoming battle, it's all there to remind us that the battle is the Lord's. He will be the one to bring about the victory that he's promised. So it's a, it's a little like if we think back to that opening uh, example with that couple saying, here's how you retire early at 38. Uh, it's a little like as if, yes, they did give that advice, but the way they did it was by giving you all their money. Right? It's a little like that, that sort of security. If you knew, oh, they were, they were going to help me to retire at age 38 by giving me all their cash, well, then you'd be like, all right, great, everything's going to work out fine. And the same thing is happening here. And also, I should say that the same thing rings true for you and for me if today we are part of God's people. Right? The, the people here in, in Joshua chapter 6 They weren't really being prepared to fight Jericho as much as they were being prepared to see that no matter who the enemy is that they're coming up against, when it comes to entering the promised land, what matters is that the victory comes not through what I do, but through what God does. If I'm going to enter eternity with God... It's only going to come about because he will say, I have given it into your hands. Okay, it's, it's a little like uh, a bank check. I know checks aren't as uh, used as they, they once were. But I assume most of you will know what a check is. If you've ever received one of these, you'll know that it's effectively a, a present promise of a future reward. Right? The person who gives you the check is promising now that they will give you the amount on the check in the future whenever you decide to cash it. And the beautiful thing about a check is that it's secure. It's a firm promise. Why? Because the bank guarantees the money. 
And so as long as the bank is sound, and yes, I know we've had our troubles with banks here in Oz, as long as the bank is sound, then that future reward is secure. You don't have to worry about whether the money is going to come or not. It's, it's going to be there. And the same thing's happening here. For you and I, if we are under Christ, we are secure. I don't know, we might not have experienced the, the fullness of the victory that, that God has provided for us through Jesus, but just like Joshua, just like the people here, we can take God's promise to the bank. doesn't matter how, how difficult it might seem for us. It doesn't matter as we look ahead how difficult things might be in our eyes. Why? Because it's God who's the one that's guaranteeing that. It depends on him. And so we've got to have eyes to see what he sees. And what God sees and what God says is that I have given it into your hand. I have given you access into the promised land, the, the eternal promised land, the one that he achieves for us through Christ. And that's what makes it a secure promise, not what I do. Now, are there times for you when you doubt, when you doubt your salvation? Are there moments where you think you haven't done enough in order to be right with God? Or do you worry maybe that your sin is too great, that God couldn't love you with the amount of sin that you're committing? Are you worried that when you stand before him, he will say, away from me? Well, the message of of Joshua 6, this early part of it, is that if you're part of God's people, that will not happen. If you're part of his people by faith, it is a guarantee that you are secure. And the guarantee is there because you're in God's hands. He's the one who does the work. He's the one who's done the work through Jesus. Now, uh, knowing that God was going to give you the land as God promises, that would obviously have been a huge relief, a huge relief for the people, no doubt. But nonetheless, I still kind of wonder, like, how would they have responded to hearing this battle plan? Rather, that rather than some fancy kind of military tactic, they were just going to have a, a battle procession. They were just going to have a walkabout. Now, when, uh, if you know your history, uh, when the Roman politician uh, Brutus didn't like the direction that his liege uh, Caesar was going in, well, what did he do? Well, he arranged and led a successful plot to have Caesar assassinated. Actually, he didn't like what he was doing, his boss. But here, well, there's... For Joshua and for the people, as we read the passage, there's not even the slightest hint of displeasure about the battle plan. But the people of Israel, the story of the Old Testament as a whole is there's so much complaining in it. You can read through all the books and hear the people complain because they don't like what God is doing. But here, all we see is that God gives the instruction to Joshua And Joshua gives the same instructions to the people. And then the people go, and in verse 8, we're told explicitly, the people go and, quote, they do 
just as Joshua had commanded. Right? The, the instructions are followed all the way down the chain of command. And if you, if you notice, like the author actually goes to great pains to show us um, this, not by just almost repeating word for word the, the first uh, command and then the, the fulfillment of it, but he also goes uh, into detailed specifics about everything that happens in those first few days. In verse 8, right, yep, there are the, the seven priests and the seven horns, the Ark of the Covenant, just like God said. In verse 9, sure, yep, there's the armed men uh, walking before and after the Ark. And in verse 10, Joshua it drives it home even further by making it even more explicit when he says, hey, make sure you don't shout until the right moment. Don't shout beforehand. Make sure you shout at the very right moment. And then in verse 11, we get them what? We get them doing those instructions, following those instructions to a T. They're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Now, what happens after that in the story? Well, there you think you get something like from the author, and they did the same thing for the next six days. Right? Because it's the same thing every day until the seventh day. You think you just get a one line about it's repeated. But no, what do we see? We get a whole another three verses dedicated just to what they do in, in day two. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but if you were writing uh, an epic battle, uh, if you wanted to write about a battle scene, you think that what you'd want to do is spend most of your time writing about the battle part, the fighting part, the exciting part, right? Not the lead up to the battle. So for an example, think of the Battle of Helm's Deep uh, in the movie The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Right, now, I, I went and did a bit of research about this uh, throughout the week. This is a three-hour movie. That's not the extended version, even longer. Three-hour movie, and the battle portion, the bit you see behind me, that, that goes for a bit over 30 minutes. Now, sure, there are other kind of stories interweaved, other plot lines interweaved with that, but it goes for about 30 minutes. Right? And it starts with the two armies facing each other. They're just looking at each other right? before the action actually takes place. But then very quickly, the fighting is underway. And the vast majority of that 30-minute block, the vast majority of it is the fighting, right? the exciting bit. That's the bit we all want to, want to see. That's the bit we want to get involved in. But the writer here, the writer of Joshua... The author of Joshua seems singularly uninterested in the actual fighting, the battle proper. In the whole passage, just two verses, just under two verses are dedicated to the actual fighting part. That's a little bit later on. The vast majority of it is all the lead up, what they do in the days before, what they do upon hearing God's instructions. The vast majority of it is them following God's instructions to a T. And so what does this mean? Well, it means the author is trying to tell us that's the important part. That's the important bit. When the action slows down to a really slow pace, that's the author's way of saying, this is the bit you want to focus on. And that uh, importance, that importance level reaches fever pitch right about verses 16 to 19. Because you, you get to the seventh day and the, the day is underway and they've marched around the city seven times and then Joshua says, shout 
for the Lord has given you the city, right? That's the key to start the battle. But what do we see? Immediately after that, he gives more instructions, right? So, so what the author is doing here is showing us this part here. It's almost as if Joshua has paused the battle because he has something even more important to tell you. And that's what this bit is here in verse 17. I'm going to read it to you, okay? Verse 17 to 19. He says, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, You take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And what this tells us is that when it comes to God's battle plan... There are really only two ways to respond to it. You either reject what he says and then you face God's judgment, destruction, or you you trust him and what he says and do what he says and receive his gracious salvation. Right At this most critical part of the battle, just as everything's about to start happening, That's the message. If they refuse to listen to God and they take the things that have been devoted to destruction, what does God say? You will make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. You disobey him, you get destroyed. On the flip side, if you trust him and his plan and you follow it, you carry out your duty, so to speak, you'll win. You'll receive the victory that God delivers. And so what do they do? Well, you read the rest of the story in chapter 6. They do exactly as God said to Joshua and as exactly as Joshua reported to them. And the battle is a cinch. Just two verses, it's all over in a a second. It's so easy and straightforward that the author barely gives us any details. It's a walk in the park. In fact, he spends more time telling us about Rahab. You'll meet, read more about her than you will about the battle. Why? Well, because she'd shown trust and obedience in God in that earlier chapter two, which we heard about a few weeks ago. And so what happened? Her, She and her whole family are saved. They receive that salvation that God's promised. And so as we kind of bring things to a close, well, the the message for you and I today couldn't be more straightforward. If you uh, want to be part of God's people or if you are already part of God's family, well, the message is that the most important thing that you can do is to commit to trusting in God's plan and obeying his word to a T. Now, what plan is that? Well, we've already discussed it, right? God's plan for for victory. God's plan for ultimate victory over the great powers in this world. I'm not talking about uh, America, China, Russia, but no, sin, death, and the devil. That's the big battle that had to be won 
if there was any hope for you and I to be able to enter God's eternal promised land. And like we said earlier, if you know the story, the full story of the Bible, you know that it has already been won, that battle. Even though we haven't seen the full results of it yet, even though we're still waiting for that future reward. In Jesus' death, in what he has done, my sin is paid for, it's wiped away. In Jesus' resurrection, my life is guaranteed. Death no longer holds sway over me. And in Jesus being raised to rule at God's right hand, well, it shows me the devil no longer has power over those who are part of his family. All that has happened. All that is guaranteed. And so what does that leave us with? Well, now the call for you and I, as we look forward, as we join the battle procession, so to speak, as we look forward to what God's doing, now the call is to believe in what God has done and to obey him, obey him as a result. Just like the people here believed that God would bring victory and followed his instructions to the T as a result. Now, they're not the reason that we get into the promised land. Let's make that clear. Now, the, the, the reason we get into the promised land is because of what God has done. All we're doing is responding. And so what will that look like? What will it look like to respond to what God's done? Well, let's turn uh, together. If you've got your Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the passage that Craig read for us a bit earlier. So Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses, uh, starting at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not uh, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, notice what Paul's writing here uh, thousands of years later is effectively the same message the Israelites received in two ways. Firstly, Paul's saying, trust God. What did he say? He said, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not my might, not my strength, but in God's. Trust in what Jesus has done, not in what I do. I'm going to be strong enough to make it to the promised land, the eternal home that God's promised us. If I'm going to do that, it's only going to be because Jesus was strong enough to get me there. I've got to rest in what he has done. So the question is, do I really believe that? Do I really live that reality? Or do I just kind of have a a label of Christian, but underneath I'm relying on me. I'm, I'm thinking that it's up to me to make myself worthy before God. And the second way that I think this is similar is the 
the response that it's calling for. Paul's saying, he's effectively saying, follow God's instructions to a T. How does he say it? Well, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Right now, I'm not, we're not called to kind of go off and and knock down a city somewhere. No, this, like he said, this is a, a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And so if I'm to be prepared for that, that reality, I've got to have the full, the whole armor of God. I've got to do all that God says. Right, so that's the what's what does Paul say? It's the the belt of truth, the the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now that's what's required if I'm to stand firm in God's strength, to be able to be part of that battle procession into the final promised land. And the, the wonderful news is that, that God's given us everything we need to be able to follow him closely. And it's the armor of God, the, the thing that he gives us. He, he's given us the truth. Well, we have the truth in his word. That means we can be people who live out the truth. People who speak the truth. He's given us righteousness. But he's called us to a life of righteousness as a result. One where we put our sin to death. Now, he uses the image of the the breastplate of righteousness. Can you imagine in the heat of battle, taking off your breastplate, right? The one that protects all your vital organs. Now, that'd be madness to do that, wouldn't it? Right, you would never kind of take that off to go away and kind of do your own thing in in the middle of a battle. No, you've got to keep that on. That means striving to live a righteous life, to, to follow God's instructions. Now, God, what else? Well, God's given us the gospel of peace as our shoes, Paul says, to, to mobilize us for action so that we might share that, that gospel with others, so that we might be motivated to do that because we've received that peace from God. Right, and we, our world is a world that's completely seems to be more and more divided each day. It's a world that needs peace, not just peace with each other, but peace even more so with God. And it's his battle. It's God's battle. We don't want to be on the opposite side of that. Now, then what next? Well, the shield of faith. The shield's a primary defensive weapon, isn't it? It's the, the weapon, you, the thing you use to protect yourself. And Paul says that's what faith is to the Christian life. Even now, there are many ways that the devil might attack us as we seek to follow Jesus, either by maybe by reminding us of our sin, by encouraging our doubts, by tempting us to, to turn from following God. And Paul's saying in the midst of all of this, the best defense that you have is to cling to Jesus, to cling to what he has done, to be reminding yourself that the battle is the Lord's and he has guaranteed it. And next we've got the helmet of salvation. God, God has graciously given you salvation by faith. If you're a Christian, he's protecting you, like the helmet protects the most vital organ. Right? A hit to the head is a lethal blow. Salvation's a thing that protects us from the, the lethal blow of the enemy. 
And then lastly, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. The one thing our true enemy cannot stand is this, God's word. So if we want to be part of what God is doing, if we want to join his battle procession into the promised land, then I can do no worse than to know him in his word and to follow it closely, right? to carry out my duty, to, to do just as he says, just as the people in Joshua 6 do. Stand firm, God says. Not in your own strength, but in his strength. And keep fighting. Keep fighting by putting on the whole armor of God. It's going to be difficult. And following God's word is, right? We shouldn't make light of that. It, it's not meant to be a walk in the park. These are, these can be difficult instructions. But we're called to put on this whole armor, to don it all in response to what he has done. That means not just following the parts that are easier to follow or the parts that are more convenient, that, that fit in better with my life, or just to do the things that don't cost me so much, and not even just the things that we think are achievable either. No, we're called to follow all of it, to put on the whole armour, We're called to follow him closely as we march together towards that promised land. So my last question is, are you doing that? Will you keep doing it despite the the obstacles that might lie ahead in front of you? I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to pray uh, and ask God for his help to be able to do this. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is a wonder and a joy to know that uh, the battle belongs to you. Uh, to know that uh, despite uh, the, the evil that might be in this world, despite the, the way uh, the devil might seek to turn us from you, uh, we can know through your word, we can know that uh, the battle belongs to you, that you have guaranteed victory and you've shown us that through what the Lord Jesus has done. Father, as we reflect on this, as we uh, hear this, uh, would you help us to be uh, like the people we read about here in this chapter of Joshua? Would you help us to be people who respond to what you have done by following you closely, Uh, by by doing what you say, even when it's difficult, by doing what you say, even when it, it seems unachievable or unlikely? Help us to be people who obey your instructions to a T. We pray for your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen.